Well, hello, friends. My name is Chris Ward, and I am the teaching pastor here at Friends Church. And it is so good to be with you here this weekend as we get the opportunity to open up God's Word together. In just a second, I'll tell you what passage we're going to look at today. But before we do that, I'd love us to just bow our heads in a word of prayer. So wherever you are right now, if you could just bow your heads and let's pray. Father God, as we come before you right now, Lord, uh, we are just reminded of the fact that your spirit is not limited to the four walls of a church, God. But Father, every single place that there is someone who believes in your son, Jesus, Lord, your spirit is there with them. And so God, I pray that wherever people are watching this right now, uh, in their homes, in their offices, wherever they are, God, I pray that there would just be a sense of your presence right now with them, Father. And God, I pray that you would use my words, and and more important than that, I pray that you would use your word just to speak to all of us in this time, Lord, and that we would get from this exactly what you want us to receive. And so God, we give this time over to you, and we ask that you are pleased and glorified in and through it. And we ask all this in your son's name, amen, amen. Well, if you do have your Bibles handy, go ahead and grab them. John chapter 11 is where I'd ask you to turn. John chapter 11 is where we're gonna be today. And as you find your place in John chapter 11, uh, this past week I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. And in this conversation, he asked me a question. He said, Chris, he said, where in this season in your life right now, where do you really feel like you're thriving? Uh, Where's an area of your life right now where you really feel like you're thriving? And that was an interesting question. And I don't think I've been asked that yet in this season. So I, I thought about it for a second. And then I said to my friend something like this. I said, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, I said, I don't really think the word thriving is the word I would use for any area of my life right now. This has not just been a season where I have really felt like I have been thriving. And that's just the the honest truth for me right now. You know, it goes without saying, but, but this is a weird season that we are in. This is a difficult season that we are in. And as it stretches on, and as we continue to try and wrap our minds around all that is going on right now, there's just a lot of difficult things. And one of the things that I'm finding difficult in this time period is that at times I don't even know how to feel in this season. I don't even know what emotions to have in this season. You know, there are some days, honestly, where I am filled with an incredible amount of hope, an incredible amount of hope of all that I know that God is doing in this season. One of the things I believe very strongly, and I believe it because the Bible teaches it, is I believe that there is nothing that happens on this earth that God cannot bring good out of. Everything that happens on this earth is something that God can use for his glory, and it's something that God can use for our good to make us more like Jesus. And I know that is happening in this time. You've probably seen some of the same stories that I have seen. Bible sales right now are through the roof. More people than ever are tuning into church online. In our church alone, in the past couple of weeks, we've had over 150 people who have either made first-time decisions for Christ or rededicated their lives to Christ. I mean, God is doing so much good stuff in this season. And so there are some days when I am just filled with an incredible amount of hope of all that God is doing. But then there are other days, where to be honest with you, there are other days where I'm just filled with sadness. I'm filled with sadness of all that is different in this season and all that we're losing in this time. I think of my son. This is his kindergarten year, his first real year of school. He only gets one of these. And he should be out playing with his friends on the playground every day, but he can't. He's stuck at home and he's struggling with that. We're all struggling with that as a family. 
And I know there are some of you, you have kids who are seniors in high school or seniors in college or in eighth grade, and I know you feel that even more. I think of those who are struggling financially in this season. I think of those of you who I know have lost jobs that you so dearly loved or you're losing businesses that you've poured your heart and your soul into. And then I think about all of us. Listen, I am so grateful for the technology that allows us to gather together in this way. But let's be honest here, okay? This is no substitute for the real thing. And I miss you all. And I cannot wait for the day when we all get to be back together in the same room and and even hug each other. And I'm an introvert, so that's saying a lot coming from me. But I cannot wait for that day to come. And, and, And there's just so much loss in this season. In more ways than one, there's so much loss in this season. And so there are some days where where I'm filled with an incredible amount of hope. And then there are some days when I'm filled with an incredible amount of sadness. And sometimes it's not even entire days. Sometimes I'll have 15 minutes of hope followed by 15 minutes of sadness followed by 15 minutes of hope followed by 20 minutes where I eat a bag of Doritos all to myself. I mean, it's just a roller coaster in this particular time. And one of the things that I'm finding especially is that when I I have those periods of sadness, one of the things that I'm finding is that there's another feeling that accompanies that as well. And that is a feeling of guilt. That sometimes I feel guilty about feeling sad. Sometimes I beat myself up at the fact that I'm feeling sad because I think I shouldn't feel that way, right? After all, as I said, God is being glorified right now. People are coming to faith in him for the first time. People are returning to him. Shouldn't that be where my focus is? In times of sadness, shouldn't I fight to look at the bright side of life? Shouldn't I fight to look at all the good things that God is doing? As I said, there are times I don't even know how to feel in this particular season. And it's because of that struggle, and I know I'm not alone in that struggle, It's because of that struggle I have found a lot of comfort and I have found a lot of help in this passage that I ask you to turn to today in John chapter 11. Today we're going to take a brief look at what is really one of the most famous miracles of Jesus in the Bible. It's it's a miracle where Jesus does the impossible. He raises this man by the name of Lazarus back from the dead. And we're going to pick it up here in the middle of this story. And just to give you a little background on what's going on here, there's this man by the name of Lazarus. And Lazarus is a man, we're told, that is a close friend of Jesus. In fact, it's a man that we're told that that Jesus loves. Well, this man, Lazarus, he got sick, and then he died. And we're told that four days after his death, Jesus travels to the town where Lazarus has been buried in order to visit his grave. It's a town by the name of Bethany. And that period of four days is actually really significant. There was a belief among some Jewish people in the ancient world that for the first three days following someone's death, the the soul of that body would actually hang around that body, hoping to return to it. But on the fourth day after his death, the, the soul would leave the body for good. So the fact that Jesus is arriving in Bethany where Lazarus is buried four days after his death means that Jesus is arriving when all hope for Lazarus is gone. And as we read in the story, we're told that when Jesus gets to Bethany, there's sort of this funeral going on around him. There's this mourning and this grieving that is happening for Lazarus. And, and Jesus is, is, is greeted as he walks into Bethany. He's greeted by two of Lazarus' sisters, a woman by the name of Martha and a woman by the name of Mary. And I want to pick it up here in verse 32 of John chapter 11, where Jesus is greeted by Mary. Look with me at John chapter 11, verse 32. This is what we read. 
It says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let me read that again. It says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And here you see what I really believe is just this anguished cry of Mary. You see, Mary knows that Jesus is a miracle worker. She knows that Jesus is a healer. She has likely seen Jesus heal other people. And for that reason, Mary really believes that if Jesus had been able to make it to Bethany four days later when Lazarus, her brother, was sick but not yet dead, that that Jesus could have healed Lazarus. He could have spared Lazarus from this death. And so Mary right now is just filled with regret of all the things that could have been. And so as we see in this verse, she falls down at Jesus' feet. And as we'll see in the next verse, she begins to sob. She begins to cry. And I just want to point out, that's a completely understandable reaction, right? I mean, Mary doesn't know what we know. She doesn't know the miracle that Jesus is about ready to perform. She doesn't know that Jesus is going to raise her brother from the grave. And so obviously, she is mourning the loss of someone that she loves. It's a completely understandable reaction. There's, there's no surprise in her reaction here. But where there is a surprise in this story is in what happens next. And that is the reaction that we're told Jesus has. It's the reaction that we're told Jesus has to Mary's crying and to the mourning, the funeral that is going on around him. And we see that reaction starting in verse 33 of John chapter 11. Look with me there. It says this. It says, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Let me read that again. It says, when Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. And in these three verses here, what we see is we actually see two reactions of Jesus. We see two emotions of Jesus. The first one is found at the end of verse 33 when it says that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit. It says there that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit. And the Greek word that is translated deeply moved there, it's a very vivid word. It's a word that was actually originally used to describe the snorting of horses. And I won't try to imitate that sound, but hopefully you know what I mean here. When a horse gets all riled up and he starts stomping, he'll make that snorting sound. And that's what that word originally referred to. And what's interesting about that word is every other time that that word is used in our Bible to describe a human emotion, a human reaction, it's never translated the way it is in John chapter 11. It's never translated with the phrase deeply moved. And instead, whenever that word is used elsewhere in Scripture, It's translated with a word like angry, or even in one place, fury. And that's why a lot of scholars think that the better translation of verse 33 here would be something like this. It would say, when Jesus saw Mary weeping, a deep anger welled up within him. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, a deep anger welled up within him, or even Jesus was furious. Jesus is angry here. But why? What's Jesus angry about? The second reaction, the second emotion that Jesus has in this passage we find in verse 35. John chapter 11 verse 35 is actually the shortest verse in our Bibles. And it says simply this, it says Jesus wept. It says Jesus wept. 
And the Greek word that is translated wept there, that doesn't refer to anger. No, that refers to sadness. And that refers to grief. Jesus is sad here. Jesus is grieving here. But why? What is Jesus sad about? You know, Jesus is not in the same position that Mary was in this story. Jesus knows the miracle that he's about ready to perform. In fact, we're told earlier in John chapter 11, the whole reason he traveled to Bethany was to raise Lazarus from the dead. It says back in verse 4 that Jesus says to his disciples very plainly, he says, this sickness of Lazarus is not ultimately going to end in death. Instead, it's going to ultimately end in me being glorified and God being glorified. The, The whole reason Jesus traveled to Bethany was to perform this miracle, was to raise Lazarus from the dead. And in just a matter of minutes from this scene right here, Jesus does that. He brings Lazarus back to life. And yet, despite the fact that Jesus knows he's going to do that, still he is angry. Still he weeps. What's going on here? And what what does Jesus teach us? What do we learn from Jesus in this passage? Well, let me do my best here to explain. You know, if you've been around Christians for a while, Uh, There's a phrase that you sometimes hear Christians use, especially in regards to difficult circumstances. And what Christians will sometimes say is when a bad thing happens, they'll, they'll say something like this. They'll say, well, I don't understand it, but it must have been God's will. I, I don't really get it. I don't really understand it, but, but it must have been God's will that this thing happened. And Christians like to often call bad things that happen on this earth, they like to refer to those things as God's will. And listen, I completely understand the thinking behind that, okay? One of the things that we believe is we believe that God is sovereign. We believe that God is on his throne. Even now as we speak, God is on his throne. And we believe that there is nothing that happens on this earth apart from God's sovereign hand. So what does that mean? That means, yes, God could have kept Lazarus from getting sick and dying. Yes, God could have kept you from losing your job. Yes, God could have spared the world this hardship. God could have spared the world this sickness. God is sovereign. Absolutely, he could have done that. Of course, he could have. But at the same time, if we want to use that stamp of God's will on something, if we want to call something God's will, here's what we need to understand. What was God's original will for this world? What was God's original plan for this world? I'd encourage you, if you get some time this week, read Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And as you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you will see God's original will for this world. You will see God's original design for this world. And as you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what do you see? Or maybe better asked, what don't you see? You know what you don't see? You don't see sickness. You don't see disease. You don't see death. You don't even see loss or sadness. No, God's original plan for this world was life. God's original plan for this world was abundance. God's original plan for this world was was paradise. That was God's will for this world. All this other stuff, all the sickness and the disease and the death and the dying and the loss, that, that all came as a result of us. That all came as a result of our sin and our rebellion against God. That was not God's design for this world. And that's what explains Jesus' reaction here. As I said, in just a moment, Jesus is going to perform probably his greatest miracle here on this earth. 
He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's going to bring incredible glory to God and to himself. We're told that many will believe in Jesus after this miracle. And Jesus knows that's going to happen. And yet even though Jesus knows that's going to happen, still he's angry. Still he grieves. Why? The answer is clear. It's because this is not the world that he created. All the sickness, all the sadness, all the loss, all the mourning that's going on around him. That's not the world that he created. When Jesus the Son and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, when they were were fashioning this world together, when they were shaping the heavens and the earth, when they were hanging the stars in the sky, this wasn't their design for the world. This wasn't their plan. And so as Jesus thinks about all the dreams that he had for this world, and he compares it to all the loss and the devastation that is going on around him, Jesus can't help but feel emotion. And so he gets angry. And he weeps at what has become of his world. And brothers and sisters, if Jesus gets angry, If Jesus weeps, that means that we can too. Or said another way, it is not unspiritual to feel sad during this time. It's not unspiritual to to mourn the loss of what you're experiencing in this time. You're not doing something wrong if you feel that way. As I said, this is a season of incredible loss. And our faith in God, our faith in Jesus, it it does not protect us from the emotions surrounding that loss. In fact, I think in some ways it heightens it. We know what God's plan for this world was. We know the design. We know what this world is capable of. And, and, And the fact that it's not living up to that, that is profoundly sad. And so, since Jesus gives us permission, we need to give ourselves permission. It's okay to cry during this time. It's okay to be angry at the circumstances around us in this season. Those are not feelings that you have to just fight to get over. You don't have to feel guilty about them. In fact, I promise you, I really believe in many ways right now, God is angry at what is going on. God is is grieving at what is going on. This is not what he intended for this world. And so just like Jesus, we weep. But at the same time, we remember something. And what we remember is that this is not the end of the story. This is not the end of our story. I don't know if any of you have been outside recently and you've taken a look at the night sky, but this time of the month, it's actually my least favorite time of the month. And the reason why is because if you look at the night sky right now, you'll see that there's no moon. We're in the cycle of the moon where the shadow of the earth has completely covered it. So there's no moon in the night sky. And I don't like that. Because one of the things I like to do when my kids are asleep is I like to sometimes take walks around my neighborhood. And when there's no moon, it's, it's just so dark and I just don't like that. But no matter how dark it gets, I know something. And what I know is I know that the sun is always going to rise the next morning. 
The sun has always risen the next morning. And so I know no matter how dark it gets, the sun is going to rise. And brothers and sisters, that's what it's like to be a Christian. That's what it's like to put our faith in Jesus. We know no matter how difficult it gets, we know, matter, we know no matter how dark it gets, we know that it's only temporary because we have put our faith and we have put our trust in one who has the power to set this wrong world right. And we get a taste of that power in this passage. So Mary and Martha, they lead Jesus to Lazarus' grave, to their brother's grave. And as Jesus gets there, the following scene unfolds. Pick it up in verse 38. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you will believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And what an incredible scene, right? Don't you wish you could have been there in that moment? You know, it's interesting, and we see it in this passage, when, whenever someone died in the first century, they would wrap the body in strips of linen. And they would wrap the body actually so tightly that it would be really impossible to move your legs and it would be impossible to walk. And usually that wasn't a problem, you know, because dead people usually don't walk. But what some people have suggested based on that fact is in this passage right here, not only does Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, but because Lazarus was wrapped in this linen, that what Jesus also does is he sort of summons Lazarus out of his tomb. In other words, if we were watching the scene, we would watch Lazarus sort of float out of his tomb as though Jesus were pulling him along by a string that we could not see. I mean, what a sight, right? And it gives us a glimpse of the power of our God, and that is where our hope is. That no matter how dark the world gets, the sun is going to rise. That no matter how dark the world gets, we know that one day Jesus will do for us and he will do for this whole world what he did for Lazarus. He will bring us back to life. It's like what Jesus says back in verse 25 of John chapter 11 when he says this to Martha, one of Lazarus' other sisters. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will never die, live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, he says, even though they die. That is our sunrise. That is our hope. You know, brothers and sisters, I hope that this virus ends quickly. I hope that they find a cure to this virus yesterday, in fact, or if not yesterday, sometime in the next couple of weeks. I hope within a few weeks that the restrictions are lifted and we can get back to normal. And I hope by the end of this year, all of this is nothing but a distant memory. I hope that. And I really think a lot of those things will happen. I do. I hope that, I think that, but I can't lie to you. I can't say that for certain. I don't know that. But here's what I do know. Here's what I can say for certain. Revelation chapter 21 Starting in verse 1, John writes, I looked, 
and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. That's what I know. That's what I can say for certain. And until that day comes, what do we do? We do what James, the brother of Jesus, tells us to do. We draw near to God. Because we are told that when we draw near to God, God draws near to us. And so we continue to pray. We need that now more than ever in this time. We continue to read God's word. Read John 11. Read Genesis 1 and 2. Read Revelation 21 and 22 this week. There is so much hope in those chapters. We pray, we read God's word and we continue to reach out to other believers. I've been so impressed by the number of stories of life groups who have continued to meet in this season online. That is so incredible and it's so important because it reminds us of how much we need each other and we're not in this alone. And I just wanna know if, if you're feeling alone right now and if you're feeling overwhelmed, we wanna help you. And if you go to our website, friends.church, you'll see a ton of resources that we have, but we wanna come alongside you because that's part of the reason why God has given the church. So we wanna help you any way that we can. You know, brothers and sisters, it will get better. It will get better. It's like what one author I came across this past week said. He said, sorrow may have the night, but it cannot have our lives. Sorrow may have the night, but it cannot have our lives. And he's right. Sorrow cannot have our lives because Jesus already does. So let's put our hope and let's put our trust in him. Will you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Father, as we come before you right now, God, we are reminded of the incredible truth and the incredible hope that is in your word, Father. God, we thank you um, that as one of us on this earth through your son Jesus, Lord, we get a picture of the feelings that you have at the world that you created, God. There is sadness, there is anger at what has become of what you have created, Lord. But at the same time, there is hope that, God, everything that is wrong, you are going to set right. That we look forward to the day when your son returns and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and God, as it says, there's no more crying, there's no more mourning, there's no more death, there's no more sickness, and, and you're gonna wipe every single tear from our eyes. God, what an incredible truth that is. And so God, I pray that in the midst of the sadness that we feel from time to time, which is completely natural, God, I would also pray that you would remind us of the fact that the sun will rise, God that Jesus himself will be spotted in the sky one day, Lord, and we who have put our faith in Jesus will join him. 
God, and we will be a part of this new kingdom that you set up, Father. And God, that is the hope above all other hopes that we put our faith and our trust in, Lord. So God, we thank you that you are with us in this season. We thank you that you're in charge. And I think more than that, Lord, we thank you that you love us. You love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, God. And I pray that we would be reminded of that love each and every day. And so God, thank you for our time that we get to spend together and worship together. And we ask all of this in your son's name. Amen.